few years ago, I, I found this on the internet. Someone had taken photos of adults and then photoshopped them to where they had the features of toddlers, you know, the little tiny bodies and the big heads and everything. So they, they took these pictures of adults and they made them look like toddlers. Here is one of my favorites. You see? See how they kind of did that? There's a whole set of, set of those available on the internet. You could, you could be Googling those instead of listening to my sermon, but don't. Uh, so Snapchat here recently set up a new filter. I love Snapchat filters. Uh, Snapchat set up a new filter where it would de- not only de-age you, but it would make you look like you were a baby. So you could take a picture of an adult and it would just change your facial features and, and make you look like a baby. So we had some fun with that this week. And right there, there's our secretary. And she's sweet. She's just a sweet little baby. And uh, so cute. Now here, you know, you think you can't, you can't get any worse. Look at this one. Oh, there's Steve. He's actually a little cuter. He's a little cuter. You know, Pterodon, you could take a picture of that and you could frame it and put it on your desk at work. That's my little boy. Here's one. Now this one ought to look familiar. I think some of you have maybe seen this face around before. Look at this. There! Look at that. I think it even got rid of my teeth. The beard's a little concerning, isn't it? That's, uh, and then we had some fun with a few other people who just kind of showed up. We kinda, and then there's Don Lucas. Our buddy Don. The teeth is very disturbing on Don. You want to see a little baby coming at you with teeth like that. Uh, Don is uh, not able to be with us today because he's flooded in at his house. The, uh, the road washes out and he texted me and said, I can't make it, I can't get out of the house. So Don is flooded in. If anyone's got a boat, you can go get Don. Uh, here's another one. There's, uh, there's James. James in the back. we got a picture of James today. James, you haven't changed a bit. And let's see, here's Cindy. Cindy looks nice. Looking very nice. This is probably my favorite one, though. I, I think this is it. This might be my favorite one. We had to get a volunteer from the elders to do it. So there you go. There's Jim Webb. Little Jimmy Webb right there. Just so sweet. Oh, those are all really nice. So Now these are fun to look at, but I think they go really well with the point that Paul is trying to make in Ephesians chapter 4. That's why I did this to you, to make a point so that we could talk about the Bible a little bit more. I think they go well with what Paul is saying in, in the second half of Ephesians. He's telling us to grow up. You know what? They're funny because we know those people are adults and yet they look like little kids. They've got the features of, of little children, so we laugh. But you know, in the world looks at the church and they look for what a mature, loving church looks like. What the, they, look, they look for what the mature love of Jesus ought to look like and they don't see that in the church. They don't laugh. Nobody laughs. And so all the way through the second half of Ephesians, Paul has been calling for us to grow up. He says in verse, verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, what does that look like? He goes on and he describes it in verses 2 and 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In short, we should say, we, we could just simply say it looks like Jesus. It looks like His character. When we love the way that Jesus loves, that's how we see maturity. When we 
care for other people the way Jesus cares. That's maturity. If our faith is real, it needs to change us. It needs to transform us. We need to become more and more like Jesus. The change of our identity as Christians demands a change in our behavior. We're continuing on in, in chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 17-24 through 24 today. It's page 978. He begins there in verse 17. He says, Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. That sounds familiar. Paul talks about walking a lot all the way through this book. He mentioned it back in, in verse 4, or chapter 1, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have been called. He, he talks about walking over and over again. One thing we need to consider that if our faith is a walk, then our faith is, is a journey. And if our faith is a journey, we're not going to all get there at once. We're not all going to get there at the same time. But, but to see ourselves growing as Christians, to, to see ourselves growing in our faith, our love, our, our, our behavior, our maturity, that requires us taking intentional steps towards our goal. Intentional steps in the maturing of our faith. And the, the beautiful thing about that is we don't do it alone. We, we are on this walk together. And we're on this walk with Jesus. That's one thing I think we have to get in our head. This is not a walk to Jesus. This is a walk with Jesus. He doesn't say, when you get here, I'll meet you there. He walks with us as we grow in our faith, as we grow and, and mature in our faith. And again, we're not going to get there all at once. But hopefully, hopefully we understand that for ourselves and hopefully we understand that for others. No one expects immediate maturity. I mean, we get that with kids, right? We understand that no one expects a child to, to instantly grow up. Growth takes time, whether that's physical growth, whether that's emotional growth, or whether that's spiritual growth. What does that process look like? Well, that's what Paul is showing us here in verses 17 through 24. He says, Now this I say, and I testify to the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have learned about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You hear that emphatic statement there in, in verse 20. That is not the way you learned Christ. There's an exclamation point behind it in, in my Bible. It's a wake-up call. You didn't learn Jesus. You didn't learn who Jesus was by running off wild and, and living an uncontrolled life. So what makes you think you can grow in your knowledge of Him if you're doing that now? If you're, if you're living like everyone else? Instead, there's a call to... <clears throat> hate the word, but there's a call to discipline. There's a call to maturity. And there's a call to decide if, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to walk the path that He's put me on. And it is a path of maturity. And that means it's a path of, of change. 
And it calls us to put off the old self, to take off the old self. He says that in verse 22. He says, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. If we're on a new walk, we have to ask the question, what are we leaving behind? If we're taking a new walk, what are we leaving behind? I mean, that's just common sense. If you decide that you're going to lose some weight, if you decide you're going you're gonna to make some changes and you're going to lose some weight, sadly, there are some things you're going to have to leave behind. You're going to have to leave behind snacking. You're going to have to leave behind those late night... Yes, you are, Chris. You're going to have to leave behind the late night rage of the refrigerator. You're going to have to leave behind some of those foods that you love, some things you really, really love if you're going to make that change. And if, if, we're, if we're looking to change patterns, if we're looking to change some destructive patterns in our lives, there are things we're going to have to change. If you want to become one of those you know, early risers, you're going to have to stop being one of those people that goes to bed late at night. You're going to have to make that change. And sometimes that's painful. Sometimes that's difficult. And in the same way, if you're going on a, if you're going on a journey with Jesus, there are some things you're going to have to leave behind. And if we're brutally honest with ourselves, there is some stuff that we need to leave behind. Now, how does Paul describe our old lives? How does he describe the lives that we leave behind? You, you see it there in verses 17 through 19, and, and you read those words, and, and you see how he describes it. He talks about the, the futility of their thinking. He talks about dark thoughts and dark places. He talks about people who are alienated from God. And it's not just that they're alienated from God, but it's getting worse. They become more and more callous, more and more impure. And Paul says that this is due to the way these people have hardened their hearts. And you've seen it as well as I have. There are some people who just put up a barricade in their lives. They put up a barricade in their hearts to keep God and keep, keep other people from breaking in. They're, they're never going to let God in. They're never going to let others in. And so the only option is to, well, to keep building the barricade. They've got to maintain that barricade. They've got to keep building it taller and keep building it stronger and, and it make it tougher and tougher to get in. And the darker their outlook until they're, they're alienated from God, until they're cut off from His presence. That's not what we want. That barricade has to come down. And so Paul says, put off, take off the old self. You understand this language that he's using? Some of you work really hard and you get home after a hard day at work and you're filthy. You smell bad. You look awful. You're, I'm looking at some of you particularly. Some of you, yeah, you, Eric. Uh, yeah, you, you, you're, you're filthy, you're disgusting, and then all of a sudden someone says, hey, we're going out for dinner tonight. Well, you can't go out dressed like that. So what do you do? You strip it all off, you get in the shower. And what do you say when you get out of the shower? I feel human again, right? That's what Paul's calling for us here. He says, he says he's calling us to strip off that old stuff. We can't go out dressed like that. We can't get closer to Jesus with some of that same so same attitudes, some of those same actions, some of those same patterns. We can't get closer to Jesus if that guilt and that shame is still clinging to us. We, we have to rip that stuff off. He describes our old attitudes. He describes those old patterns of behavior. He says that they have become corrupt through deceitful desires. Corrupt. When I think of the word corrupt, I think of my car. <laughs> When I bought my car, I thought it looked pretty good. And a couple weeks after I bought it, I was walking around on the passenger side and I noticed something that looked a little funny and I looked 
I bent down on the driver's side or the passenger side door and I, I kind of picked at it and this huge piece of paint just fell off and it exposed this, this rust spot right there. I didn't know that rust was there. And I went, ooh, I'd better not pick at that anymore. It'll just get worse. I, if I leave it alone, maybe it'll get better. <laughs> Guess what? It, it doesn't. I was uptown one day and I ran into Danny and Cindy and stopped to talk to them and Danny bent down and started picking at my rust spot. Danny, stop picking at my rust spot. It's, it's not going to get better if you pick at it. You've got to leave it alone. I don't take it through car washes anymore because every time I go through it, I come back with less car. and I, I don't want that anymore. You know? the, the rust is not going to get better. If I leave it alone, if I don't touch it, if I just, just pretend it's not there, it, it does not get better. And guess what? That's the corruption that's in our lives. That's the corruption that's in our hearts. We think, well, it's just a little corruption. It's just going to get bigger and bigger. It's never going to go away. Why would we think we would ever get better if we're not taking care of ourselves spiritually? That's the nature of corruption. If you want the corruption gone, you've got to make changes. You've got to fix it. And the way Paul refers to that change is he calls us to renew, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And I know it's a word that we don't like. We don't ever like it, but it's an important word. The word is discipline. It hurts. I don't like to talk about discipline, but that's what change requires if the change is going to be for the better. And this is a commitment to renew ourselves, to change the way we think, to change the direction we're walking. And so he says in verses 22 and 23, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Your, your mind, it's your capacity to reason, it's your capacity to understand, to learn, and to make right choices. And so the call is to renew your mind, to change the way you think, because if you change the way you think, you will change the direction that you're walking in. Somehow we've gotten this idea that that's, that's just not a necessary part of being a Christian. Now, I'm never going to tell you that your discipline is what will save you. That's not how you get saved. Grace is what saves you. You will not be saved by becoming a better and better person. But there is, some, there is something fundamentally wrong with Christian people who continue to make bad choices. Who continue to, to live in, in corruption. And yet I hear over and over again, I'm just following my heart. Yeah, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. And I look at some of the decisions that are being made and I think, I don't think that's your heart. <laughs> I don't think you're listening to, to your heart there. And, and please, don't, don't blame Jesus on your bad decisions. Don't blame Jesus on, on bad relationships. And this is a point that Paul really hammers home over and over again. This is not new information. Back in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's there again. If you're going, you're going to have to change your mind about who you are if you're going to get where you want to be. A lot of people have said it. Supposedly, Henry Ford was the first one to say it. If you always do what you've always done, you will always get what you've always got. You've heard that before? If you always do what you've always done, you will always get what you've always got. You want to lose weight? You've got to change your diet. We get that. Can't keep filling ourselves with junk. 
if we keep filling our minds with, with negativity, we're never going to get out of that funk that we're in. And if we keep filling our lives with the things in verse 19, they have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. We're never going to grow as Christians. And again, I, I can't stress this enough. We're not all going to get there at the same time. We're not going to get there at once. We can't force everybody to grow up. Life doesn't work that way. Instead, what, what does He call us to do? Back there at the beginning of chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's not just about you growing. That's about you making sure other people are growing as well. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Back in verses 15 and 16, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, everyone, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We have to extend that kind of grace to each other. We have to extend that kind of love to each other. And we have to extend the same to ourselves. We have to allow ourselves to mature. John Maxwell put it this way, small disciplines. I like that. Small disciplines. Repeated with consistency every day lead to great achievements gained slowly over time. I like that. Gained slowly over time. That's still progress. No matter how slow it might be, progress is wonderful. And we need to see that. It's all part of becoming who we're called to be, as Paul calls us, to put on the new self. Verse 24, he goes on. He says, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You notice in, in three verses, three verses, Paul has called us to take off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and put on a new self. Three verses, and you and I will spend our entire lives doing those things. We will spend our entire lives trying to get that right. And we will struggle, and there's going to be times when we fail, there's going to be other times when you absolutely amaze yourself and wonder how you managed to do that. It's a process that, that maybe even other people are going to notice before us as they see you maturing, as they see you getting better, as they see you growing more, as they see you loving more and becoming more and more like Jesus. You know, he described our old self as corrupted. He says we were rusted, we were busted, we were falling apart. But he says of our new self, he says, created after the likeness of God. That ought to sound familiar. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says of Jesus, He is the image, He is the likeness of the invisible God. You put those together, you in God's likeness, that's who you were always meant to be. That's who you were created to be before corruption came into the world. Jesus came so that He might restore that for you and show you who you really are. And Paul defines the likeness of God with two words. Righteousness and holiness. Those are both big words. Those are words we just basically use in church. Righteousness. Let's, let's just take it simple right now. Righteousness is simply the ability to make the right choices. To choose the right thing. Let's just start right there. And then holiness. Holiness really just means that you have been set apart for God's purpose. You have been set apart for God. You belong to God. You don't belong to this world. 
Holiness doesn't seem to be a very popular concept these days. Honestly, I, I find that disturbing. I get bothered by a lot of what I hear preached today. Well, a lot of what I hear taught today. I, I hear the Gospel being preached. I hear good news being preached. But I hear good news without discipline. I, I hear hope, but I don't hear a lot of talk about holiness. I don't hear a lot of calls to, to live a different life. Seems to me what I hear most of the time is become a Christian and, and live the same messed up life you've always lived, but, but now you get to go to heaven. Or become a Christian and live the same messed up life you've always lived, but, but now you have to get up early on Sunday mornings. No one wants that. That's not going to appeal to anybody. No, no one wants a, a gospel like that. What's the appeal? More to the point, where's the hope? Where's the hope of a life that, that rises beyond the struggle and frustration of this world? Where's the promise of peace in that? Where's the promise of peace within myself? Not just the ability to forgive other people. Where's the ability to forgive myself? We cannot be who we need to be for ourselves without the character of Christ growing in us. And we cannot be who we need to be for each other without the character of Christ growing in us. The change of our identity as Christians demands a change in our behavior. I've said this before, but my favorite part of Ephesians has always been the last part. My favorite part of, of, the, of the letter to the Ephesians has always been chapter 6. In chapter 6, Paul uses this very powerful image of putting on the full armor of God. You know the passage? He talks about putting on the, the full armor of God and, and taking our stand against the struggles of evil. He says there in verse, verse 13 of, of Ephesians chapter 6, take up the full armor, stand firm, and then he gives us all the parts of the armor. There's the helmet of salvation, there's the breastplate of righteousness, there's the shoes fitted with peace, there's the belt of truth. He says, take up the, the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's a, it's a powerful image. I, I absolutely love it. But there's a reason that image does not appear until chapter 6. Because you've got to work your way through all the other chapters. You've got to make your way through the other chapters. Everything else we learn leads us to that kind of strength. Everything else we commit to leads us to that kind of hope. Leads us to that kind of ability to, to take a stand against evil. And there's no shortcut. There's no shortcut from chapter 1 to chapter 6. You can't just go directly from who you are in Christ, that you have been adopted, you have been chosen, you have been forgiven, you have been lavished with His grace and move straight to the, the armor of faith. You, you've got to go through that whole thing in the middle about walking with Christ and, and not walking the way you used to walk. You've got to go through that whole thing in, the, in chapter 5 about husbands loving your wives. You've got to go through all of that. And children obeying your parents and things like that. That, that has to be all a part of it before we get there. There's no way to escape the corruption if, if we're gonna, of this world if we're going to keep on living like this world. You and I have to make a choice. Where are we going? Where are we walking? Which way are we walking? Are we going to walk the way we used to in the futility of our minds and a life that's alienated from God? Or are we going to walk in a manner worthy of our calling and make the right choices and, and live a holy life? And again, the beautiful part of it is you're, you're never going to walk that walk alone. You're never alone on that walk. And this is the very thing that Paul was praying about in chapter 3. You may remember that prayer in chapter 3. We spent about a month looking at it. But in chapter 3, verse 16, Paul prays that according to the riches of His glory, 
He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Strengthened with power so that you can take off your old self. So that you can renew your mind. And so that you can put on a new self that is created in the image of God. That's the call. And on top of, of that, it, it's a call to walk. It's a walk that we're, we're called to do together. To strengthen one another. To support one another. The very next verse, which we'll get into next week, verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, you've taken off that corruption, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And the call is right there. Let's walk together. It's not an easy walk. It's a long walk. But let's walk together and let's see each other grow in the likeness of God. Let's stand together and pray. Father, there is not a single one of us here today who would take an honest look at our lives and say we are exactly where we want to be in our faith. We see our weakness. And we see our immaturity. And we see the places where we still mess up. And we know the times that we've simply walked the wrong way. We've, we've walked away from You because we loved something corrupt more than we loved You. And yet at every step, we have been met by Your grace. And at every step, Your Spirit has been beside us. And so we pray for Your presence every day as we continue our walk with You. We pray for new opportunities to wrap Your righteousness and Your holiness around us. We, we pray that through Your Spirit, you would offer us your, we, we would offer Your encouragement and Your strength to, to anyone who's struggling with their walk. And Father, give us the grace to see Your Son in each other. Help us to see past the corruption and the times we fail. And to hold on to each other as we make this walk together. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.